Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Yes. Um, you know what a party is, and that's what today is supposed to be. Um, and I'm going to read to you why before I read the scripture. And it's from Psalm 47, verse 1. And you can turn there if you want, but I'm not going to spend much time there. Um, every church that I've ever been a part of has had some child, even if it's only me, because I grew up as the only child in the church I grew up in, walk in on Palm Sunday and wave a palm frond. And it's clear on most of the children's faces, they don't know what's going on. They don't know why they're doing it. Um, but, you know, we're supposed to be happy today. Hosanna. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be, do you know the word? He is to be feared. And then the psalm goes on and talks about the might of God, the strength of God, his power to save. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues nations. Our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to see the way that Jesus on Palm Sunday signaled that that's who he is. He is the Lord most high. He is the Lord who is to be feared and to be rejoiced at. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew 21 or you can read it up on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. Others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? And he left them 
and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you teach us now? Would you feed us from your word? And may our thoughts please you. And Father, for every heart here and thought here that does not please you, Father, would you, would you make us new? Would you capture us with your words? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it's party time. That's why there are all these palm fronds, and I was glad to see that at least when my children came back, they still had them. You know, some places they'll take them back because the children, you know, they're going to be children. And I've already seen kids whacking each other in the face with the palm fronds. But that's what it's supposed to be about. This is a happy day. This is a party day. And you know what a party is. It is a time when you forget everything else, and the point is be happy. Rejoice. Um. There are parties that are prescribed in the Bible. God actually told his people in the Old Testament, now three times a year, you come to Jerusalem and you forget about it and you think about me. And you have your Feast of Tabernacles, you have your Passover, you have um, booths, no, that is Tabernacles. You know what they are, The, the parties. I'm a repressed person, so I don't pay attention to the parties. But there are parties. God commanded his people to rejoice. And he had to command them to rejoice. Some of you probably can't believe that. But when you get to be a certain age, you forget how to rejoice. When we were singing the uh, Psalm 24, and it gets to that part where on the recording, if you have the CDs or you've downloaded it, the, the, the music stops and somebody goes, whoo! You know that part? Around me this morning, there were voices closer to the ground that all said, whoo! When we got to that point, I thought, but the band, you guys didn't do it. That needs to be an official part of the art of the song, because you need somebody to say, whoo! Because that's the sense of the song. We're happy because the king of glory is here. The king of glory has come. And we are going to rejoice in him. There are times in life where you need to see clearly and what you need to see clearly is the good news. You need to be shaken out of the day-to-day fog that descends on all of us because of our sins, because of sins of other people against us, because of our hard hearts, because of the way that nobody can impress us quite as much as we can impress ourselves. We need that fog to be pierced through. And it doesn't take much sometimes. Sometimes it takes a little distress. Sometimes it, makes, it, it takes you feeling the oppression of your own sin and your own lostness. I remember being lost one time. Um, I was with Jan Bob Klap- Kaplowitz. And he was riding with me in the front seat. And in the back seat was uh, Nathan Carter, who used to come to church here and was, also lived with Bob. And Bob had brought us to, of all places, Italy. And so Bob, uh, his communication abilities wax and wane. Uh, I remember on this trip, actually there was one time when he could communicate very clearly, he was, but he was talking to a waitress in perfect Italian, and she could understand him, and we could not. But Bob was the only one who'd been to Italy and knew the way around. I was the only one old enough to rent a car, and I was the one who did not know how to drive a stick shift. 
And so the entire trip, I'm learning how not to ruin this rental car. And it falls to Nathan to be like the navigator. And every morning we would, we would leave from one town to go to the other. And there was nothing pre-planned. And so we didn't know where we were going to sleep. So we spent half the day finding the hotel. And then we'd find the hotel, check in somehow. And then we'd go out to eat. And then we'd have to find the hotel again. <laughs> This is way before GPS is in everybody's car. And I remember one night, it was eight, And we had been driving around in a circle. I don't know, the Italians had made this, these roads so that nobody, no American could invade, I guess. But, but I was starting to get panicky and sweat, and I was starting to, all these evil thoughts that I thought were long gone out of my head were starting to come back. And um, I was just turning, and, and the streets are about as narrow as this podium, and the car is, you know. And finally, Nathan in the back seat, who was a wise, intelligent fellow, had a phrase book and a map. And, I'm, and he suddenly, I hear him roll down the window and shout out the window at a passing motorist, what is this? He's looking at the street. And they shout back some road name, and he gets back in, sits down, the car shakes because it's just a little, and he says, turn, now! And Bob goes away, and we found the hotel, just in the nick of time. When you are lost, and somebody has one word of truth, great was our rejoicing that night. And, and uh, we, we made it. That's what those feasts were all about. You spend most of your time, and I spend most of my time just getting lost, just getting distracted, getting overwhelmed by my sin, getting hard towards those who have sinned against me. We talked about forgiveness last time I was here. And, and all of a sudden, it's just, you, you can't see the gospel. You can't feel the gospel. You open your Bible and words go in one eyeball and out the other. And there's no carrying it forward. You can begin your day well, coffee in one hand, Bible in the other, and the rest of your day is just falling apart. I remember uh, when I was teaching, I, I taught for a couple of years, not consecutively, at a little school in Mississippi. And when I would walk in the morning, I would say to people that I met, students and everybody, good morning. And oftentimes they would say, especially the students, they would say, good morning. And it was okay. One morning I walked in and a teacher from the elementary wing was coming by and I met her and I, good morning. What's so good about it? I said, or no, she said, what do you mean by that? And all of a sudden the Hobbit was there with me. If you've ever read the Hobbit and I went through Gandalf's list and I went, uh, well, it's, it's a good morning. I hope it's a good morning for you. I hope it's, it is a good morning for being good on and she just glared at me and she said, I can't stand people like you. And she, and she walked on and I walked on. I said, well, this conversation's over. And behind my back, I heard, I married somebody like you. I said, well, you must have needed it. And she said, no, I didn't. Her husband was, I, I met him later doing prison ministry at, at uh, <laughs> that's not a joke. I met him later. He was an Episcopal pastor, he, he, and he, went, he was ministering in Parchman Farm, so uh, he was very happy, and she, she was better than all that. But there are times when we need to be pierced with a little bit of joy and, and good news. Palm Sunday 
is that piercing. It's piercing through the gloom and the haze of everyday experience so that we are reminded our king has come and our king is coming again. And so as we look at what Jesus does, and this is the beginning of our Passion Week, and Passion Week is suffering. It's true. Passion means suffering. But it's Jesus' suffering on our behalf. And as we behold his suffering, we're drawn to him. We, we believe he did this for our salvation. And if he did it, it's done. He did it perfectly. He did all things well, including his death. Now, when they approach Jerusalem, Jesus prepares his people to rejoice. He knows what he needs to do. He knows what he's there for. There is no clutter in Jesus' mind. There's no fog descending on him. He knows who he is. He knows what he's going to do. And so he starts to make preparations. And he makes this confident plea to his disciples. Go on to the next town and get me a donkey. And untire and bring her to me. And when the owners will object, because they will, you just say, the Lord needs them. Now, you and I are kind of used to hearing this. There's no indication in any of the Gospels that tell us that Jesus knew these people or had been, you know, sending scouts ahead and looking, shopping around for a good donkey at a low price. He, hadn't, he just knew that it was there because the scriptures had told him that this is how he was going to do it. So it was going to be there. Um, I mean, try it this afternoon. I have an old car. If you want to go out somewhere to a neighbor's house and pick up a nice F-150 and hotwire it, and if somebody says to you, what are you doing? You just say, well, the preacher needs it. See what happens, right? Jesus can command his disciples to do this because he knows who he is and what he's about to do. He wrote it out in the words of the prophets. He, He gave this prophecy to Zechariah because of this day. He arranges his mode of transportation. Now I'm told that for the feasts, people would go up to Jerusalem on foot. Jesus is arranged to be mounted on a donkey's back, high up so everybody can see him. Who does he think he is? It's exactly the question that you're supposed to ask. Who does he think he is? Zechariah 9, 9, you just heard it sung. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He's not on a horse. He doesn't have a chariot. He's not there to bring the spear down toward everybody. But the city, of course, is primed for that sort of great, military triumph. Um, Jerusalem at this time, first century, the, the centuries before it, was awash in expectation. They needed their Messiah because they were under somebody else's dominion. They were under Rome. And they knew that before they had solved that problem. There's a great story that's not in our Bibles. It happened between Testaments and there's a reason that God did not put this in our Bibles. Um, because it wasn't something to emulate, but it's something that's helpful to keep in mind as you watch people react to Jesus. It was the, um, it was the practice of one of their Jewish conquerors, the, the conquerors of the Jews between Testaments, 
They were desecrating the temple and they were, they were commanding that pigs be slaughtered on the altar, which you know would be an awful desecration. And they called up a priest to make the sacrifice. And the soldier was you know, threatening the priest, you know, make this sacrifice. And one of the priests stood up and they said, all right, come on, make this sacrifice, slaughter it. And they were trying to defile his conscience, defile and, and subject them. And Matthias, 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 slew the soldier. He killed the soldier rather than defile the altar. And after that was the Maccabean Wars. Judas Maccabeus came up, Judas the Hammer is what his name means. He came up and, he, and they led guerrilla warfare and they threw off the yoke of their foreign oppressors. What an awesome story. I mean, that's might, that's getting the job done, that's courage, and it's something that you could make into a, a Netflix movie and get a lot of people watching because it's bloody and awful. Well, now Jesus comes to the city years later. Of course, that only lasted a little while. Now the Romans are in charge. Years later, Jesus comes up and people have seen what he's able to do. He can heal people. He can, the miracle he's just done, he's raised somebody from the dead. So the authorities have said, they've put a bounty on Jesus. If you let us know where he is, we'll give you a reward. They were offering money to people who would betray Jesus. And so everybody's thinking, well, you know, it's coming to a head. And here he comes, not hiding, riding up there. Son of David, king, can, if his army gets defeated, he can talk to him into coming back to life again. This is a king. We want him to be king. And so behind that is this, this, all of this excitement that we hear. Hosanna to the son of David. They recognize who he is. They recognize who he's claimed to be. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Where does that come from, you expect? We don't have a record of Jesus handing out flyers ahead of time and saying, at such and such a time, I'm going to come into the city. You say this. And in fact, the other gospels report different words. But they're all, they, they all basically are this. They're all Psalm 118. They, they, are, they are yelling a psalm at Jesus. Psalm 118, you know, Psalm 118. It says, let me get there. Psalm 118, it's back there. It's in the middle of your Bible. They had studied their psalms. They knew when to go, whoo. Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save we beseech you. In Hebrew, O Lord, Hosanna. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I'll give thanks to you. This is him. The, the leaders hate him. We know that because they're offering us money to tell, him, to tell them where he is. But this is him. Rejected, he's going to become our corner. He is God. He's given us light. Hosanna, and they shout. Now, I just want to say, 
they got that from their previous worship. They had spent their lives worshiping the Lord in their temple and in, in, in their synagogues as they're starting at the same time. And they would read through scripture together. And you think about the traditions of the church. Um, when I read, for example, Puritans, Matthew Henry comes to mind and he has a method for prayer that's this long and it's just great stuff, but it's all scripture. You think, how did they do that? How did their sermons, how did their lives, how did their writings get so enmeshed with scripture? Well, before they came along or as they were coming along, Church of England was trying to redo their worship and they designed a worship pattern that you worshiped every day and every month you read through the entire book of Psalms. And every year you heard the Bible read in public worship before you went to work every day. These people had studied their music, their songs, their psalms. I think about the songs that I listened to as a freshman in college. I wish I could forget them. They're awful. And word of warning to you who are young, between the ages of eight and 20, you be careful what you put into your brains because your brains are designed right now to learn and to be tracks for you for the rest of your life. And you'll never get rid of it. You might repent, but you'll have to keep repenting. Stuff goes wrong at work, rage against the machine comes into my mind, okay? I, I don't wanna see that look of recognition, but, but these, these song lyrics that, my, that I had a roommate introduced me to them, and they, they just spoke right into the heart of a testosterone-fueled punk, and I can't get rid of them. How much better to learn the Lord's songs, the songs of Zion, and have something like that come back into your mind? I remember a doctor who was telling me about a patient that he, you could guess which doctor, a patient that he was attending to and um, had dementia, and she, it got down to a point where she could only say one sentence. You know, something like, I just praise the Lord for all the things that he's done for me. And as her dementia developed, she, she got that sentence shorter and shorter and shorter until her, la- <clears throat> her last words was just praise. You know. What fragment of your brain will be left <laughs> when everything else is gone? Are you preparing now to have something that you can say on your deathbed in praise to the Lord? As these people come into Jerusalem, this just comes out of them because they've been trained by their liturgy and by the worship of the church. They know, Hosanna, salvation. That's what we're looking for. I've been trained all my life to look for this salvation and he's here and he's coming. And what does he do when he gets there? The wonderful thing about Jesus Christ in the incarnation is that he finally dispels all of our notions about what we mean when we talk about my God. My God would never, my God would always be, my God is a God of, to dispel those notions, God took on flesh and became a person so that he would open his mouth and your ears would hear And he could look at you like he looked at Peter. Remember when Peter denied him the third time and the rooster crowed, he looked at Peter and there was no denying when you're Peter at that moment, God sees me and knows who I am. 
and knows how much he can count on me. Not at all. And when he's rebuking Pharisees and constantly winning the fights that he picks, he does pick some fights, Jesus does, because he wants them to learn and they can only learn by being beaten. And so he speaks the truth to them and defeats their wisdom. The, the reason is so that they could hear for sure God speaking in the flesh. And now think about the rest of history. They have gone to their reward and they know that 2,000 years of people have heard how they refused to humble themselves before the king. What kind of testimony do you want to have 200 years from now? He comes to the temple and he acts. He acts as though he's coming to his place. You think you own this place? He does own this place. This is his temple. He enters the temple and does what God would do when God got there. He drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling. Why is he doing this? Why is he making a mess? Well, I mean, imagine being in the sanctuary with a booth from Crossway here and a booth from uh, Great Commission Publications over here and a booth for, I don't know, anything. And people asking you for money in the midst of the worship. That's what's going on. They're in, the, they're in the temple. They're in the court of the Gentiles. This is where all the people from all the nations of the earth could come in and worship God. Now, they couldn't come into the court of women. They couldn't come into the court of the priests. They couldn't, there was a limit to where the Gentiles, but the biggest part of the temple was a place of prayer for all the nations. That's the whole quote from Jeremiah. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And instead of being a house of prayer for all nations, it was a, a place of great profit for the Jewish leaders, the Sadducees who were in charge of the temple precincts who did not fear the last judgment. They just wanted to be able to keep their place and keep the temple going. And one way to do that was we don't allow any currency except the temple currency. So when you come, we, we exchange your money you know, for a little fee. And when you come to bring a sacrifice, if you're Jewish, you come to the uh, Passover sacrifice and you bring your Passover sacrifice. Well, you know it needs to be perfect. And we know you've come from a long way. I'll tell you what, it would be too bad if you got to the sacrifice and we found a little bald spot on your lamb. Or, you know, we, if we found something, some imperfection in your animal, tell you what, we have animals ready for you in the temple court. When you get here, we will have pre-approved sacrifices. And so you just bring your money and we'll make a deal with you on your offering. And that's what they were doing for a price. This is not a house of prayer. This is a Walmart, right? A Walmart that has the Bible section. And we have all around us ways of profiting by helping people with worship, and those ways actually destroy worship. I, on my Facebook feed this last week, I hate to even, well, this is a crude example. I'll, I'll get you gnashing your teeth at this, and then we'll come a little closer to home. This is the ad that came up in my newsfeed. They tar- I don't know how they found me, but they help spread our support for Jesus and celebrate his resurrection. We're offering a special one-time discount to all devoted followers of Jesus. 
For a limited time, you can get our nine golden coin collector's set, valued at over $11,000 today for an incredibly discounted price. Probably about $10,000 discounted, wouldn't you say? And they were shameless about it. It's from a website called the Divine Bazaar, B-A-Z-A-A-R. I mean, no even trying to hide what they're doing. Well, I didn't fall for that. (laughs) But I did go to General Assembly last year. And at General Assembly, they have the book section. You know, the the place where they, they sell you books and Bibles and materials and everything. And so when guys are tired of hearing RUF campus reports and statistical things and they just want to get a break. They get a coffee and they go to the book tables. And it's this whole section at General Assembly and, and uh, I, I went to the Crossway, I think it was the Crossway book booth, and I looked it up online in preparation just to see that they're still doing this. They are offering uh, the ESV Reader's Bible six volume set, six volumes of one Bible, Carefully crafted from the finest materials available in Bible and printing and production. The high level of care and excellence is printed on premium quality European book paper with a Smithsonian binding enclosed by a beautiful cowhide leather cover and packaged in a handcraft solid walnut wood slipcase. Can you feel the holiness? (laughs) Now, this is the one I put my hands on. I haven't bought it. Well, I'll tell you why. It's six volumes of the Bible and it's formatted to be easy to read and all that. Okay, that's, I have no problem with easy to read Bibles. It's been steeply discounted right now and you can get it as of last night at only $299 for a Bible. Imagine reading this with reverence or with, with humility. All right, son, I'm going to read scripture now. Let me see the prophet volume. You know, and you take it down. And if it was me, what I would be doing the whole time. But you know, I looked at it, and guess what? The words are all the same. <laughs> but somebody's spending $300. I mean, they could be spending $500 um, if it wasn't discounted. Thank you, CBD. But can you imagine? Now, by the way, on the website last night, if you, if you have a book that you need to go through, customers also purchased Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. That's the next recommendation. I'm not kidding. There are all kinds of ways that we fall prey to the profiteers, and it's fog. It's fog. Can you imagine coming home and saying, honey, Guess what I got at GA? Funk. She says, sweetheart, I need to go to Aldi today. Where's the money? Can you imagine the fog that descends on us when we buy the best books, we go to the best conferences, we, we talk the best talk, we buy the best clothes, all of these things so that we can go to those sorts of conferences, be those sorts of pastors, be those sorts of people, um, it's, and here's another one, and this might even strike closer to home. I didn't get it from our website here, uh, your website, I should say, but under a, another church's website, there was a, a tab on their website res- called Respectful Evangelism. 
They're wanting to know, let people know who they are. So click on it. All right. What do they mean by respectful evangelism? It says, as our hearts continue to grow in our love and compassion toward those around us, we also want them to know Jesus, who is the answer to everything they are seeking in life. I want to tell you, if you're outside of Christ, you are not seeking Christ. You need Christ to cause you to seek him. You need Christ to grab you by the chin and turn your head to him. The whole problem, the whole reason why we need these parties in scripture and Palm Sunday is to shake us loose and say, look, look up, look at Jesus. Why aren't you seeking him? It's not a, It's not a sales pitch we read in the Bible. Come and die is the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. Give up your pride. Take out that coolness that is so invested in your ministry model and put it to death and be humble. Um, Two weeks ago, Wall Street Journal, uh, listening to on the way to work because I need something to stay awake, and this was not a good option, so I haven't gone back to it. But the Wall Street Journal will read to you headlines. And um, one of them was about the Israeli prime minister. Now, I don't follow Israeli politics. This just came across on the news feed. And it was about uh, the current prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and his opponent in the race. And his opponent had a great campaign strategy. His opponent did this, uh, this radio ad and newspaper ad, and he says... When Benjamin Netanyahu wakes up in the morning, he does not think about infrastructure. When Benjamin Netanyahu wakes up in the morning, he does not think about, and it was this big long list of all of your needs, all the things you want your leader to do, and Benjamin Netanyahu wakes up in the morning and doesn't think about that. You know what he thinks about? Himself. Now that's a good political ad. When you're electing a human leader, that's the way to do it. That's not what Jesus is. Jesus is more glorious than anything you need, right? In fact, he is the only thing that you need. You're not going to come to him and find out that all your life, you know, you, you were hungering and thirsting for this. You're going to lose your life and find out what life is. Life is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When I think back to my childhood and the things that are, as I said, ingrained in me, you want to talk about identity, television shows, music. Praise God I didn't have a smartphone when I was 12 or even a computer. Okay, we had a computer, it was a green screen, it wouldn't run until you put a little flop, they had things called floppy disks. Praise God, I didn't have any of that. I just had a TV and that was enough to mess me up. I had movies, I had all these things and I loved them and they, and they told me what I wanted to hear, they showed me the things that I wanted to see as I developed into adolescence and they haven't left me. 
trying to die to them. It's a lifelong fight. <laughs> you younger guys, beware. You're becoming now what you always will be. If Christ should save you from your sins, praise God, you will still regret those sins. And they'll torture you and they'll make you very afraid when you have children of your own. All the more reason to have faith, right? Now, as far as children, this is one of my favorite parts of all of Palm Sunday is this, and Mark, I think it's Mark, tells us this is the next day. This doesn't really happen on Palm Sunday, but it's, it's enough of all that goes on on Palm Sunday that Matthew bundles it in and the next day he doesn't bother to tell us that another, a son has gone down and come up again because it belongs together. And you know that it belongs together because of what happens. Verse 15, chief priests and scribes see the wonderful things he's done. Now, think about this. They see the wonderful things he's done. You might be an unbeliever today and know a Christian. And you might know a Christian family. You might know somebody who has found Jesus Christ. You might know a family that's ordering their way aright. And you can react to that in one of two ways. You can be bitter and angry at the world because you don't have that. Or you can see the wonderful things God has done and go to Jesus. Or you can be like these guys, the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done. Healed the blind, healed the lame, cast out demons, raised Lazarus from the dead. And they saw these things, and they saw the children shouting in the temple. So I picture this. Jesus is there. They're wanting to rake him over the coals. All right, Rabbi, who gives you authority to do these things? And before the sentence is out of their mind, little six-year-old comes up, Hosanna to the son of David, and runs away. Let's try this again. Where in the law of Moses, Hosanna to the son of David, and they run away. And they're like, do you, do you hear what they're saying? Not just that we can't get a word in edgewise, but they're praising you as the king of Israel. Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yep, they got it. Woo! Exactly. They got it. Now, next Palm Sunday, I got an idea. See, because because I don't have any authority in this church, I can say things like this, but. <laughs> you know, every, every, I told you about Palm Sunday, the kids all, you know. Well, kids here are great, and they came, and there was some happiness, there was some joy on those faces, the song was amazing, and I cried. True story. But there's still some of the kids, my own, you know, among them, that kind of don't get, you know. Next, next year, do what these kids had done for them. They were doing this, being irritating and loud and obnoxious and joyful because they saw their parents do it the day before. So I, I can't control what you do on Saturday. I recommend you do it but on Sunday next year, Palm Sunday, during the Sunday school hour, y'all get out your palm branches and run into every classroom and Hosanna and make a fool out of yourself and loosen up those kids, okay, so they can enjoy worshiping Jesus, right? Teach 
by your example, joy, profound joy. Nobody, the, well, the, the blind and the lame, they're coming up to Jesus because of their weakness, they need that help. But these other people, the children are not coming up to Jesus. Can you heal my Aunt Sally? She's got gout and she doesn't feel real good. And can you? They're not making those kind of prayer requests. They're worshiping. They're admiring him. Children will admire if you teach them what to admire. If you just point, they don't need much encouragement. I bought a little basketball, Nerf basketball goal for one of my kids for his birthday recently, put it up on the door, and they liked, you know, throwing the basketball up. And then I, I thought in my mind, because I needed a break, because one of them needed to be lifted up for every goal, and I was tired. And so I sat down, I, I'm going, oh, I'll inspire you. So I showed them some videos of my favorite basketball player when I was growing up. And it didn't take long before one of them was just chanting. And I never told him this sentence. Michael Jordan is great. Michael Jordan is great. He's two. He doesn't, he doesn't know anything about basketball, but Michael Jordan is great. Kids like to be happy. Everybody likes to be happy. It's just our doom and our sin that when we get to about junior high age or thereabouts, we start to realize, wait, other people are looking at me. And they're approving and they're disapproving of me. And suddenly our universe changes from admiration to I, I got to be worshipped. I got to be thought well of. And you spend the rest of your life trying to get over that. And hopefully before long you'll realize <laughs> nobody's thinking of me at all. Okay. That's freedom, right? To think nobody really cares about me at all. Okay. The sooner you can get to the point where you can look at Jesus and be excited about his reign and his kingship, the better. I'll tell you one more story. I was in a, I'm not saying this is the end of the sermon, you understand. I'm just saying there's one more story. I was, in a, I was in a staff meeting at a church that was going through one of the most awful transitions you can go through in a church, and that's to change the, not the senior pastor, the worship leader. The worship leader, because the, the other worship leader had gone on to do something else, and so they'd replaced him with a stoic kind of, uh, he was a good musician and guitar player, but he, he was at the point of, you know, first couple months of, of leading, please turn in your Bible, in, in your, no, please turn in your hymnal to number 283, and let's sing together, rejoice the Lord is king. And the pastor was beside himself. He's, you got to break out of it. You got to get over this. And the guy's name is Jacob. He said, well, you know, I'm just not like Patrick, the guy that was before. He said, I'm just not like Patrick. I'm not. And the senior pastor said, neither was Patrick. <laughs> so the former worship leader had grown up in a Baptist church and been saved and converted. But then he had a second conversion to the reformed faith. And he learned that Presbyterians aren't happy like that in worship. And so he was standing up, please turn in your Bible. And, and so the, this is the previous worship. So he said, no, I used to argue with Patrick all the time. Patrick, you have to smile. Patrick, you have to be. And one day he said, the light bulb went on with Patrick. He said, Patrick, you've got to be happy. You've got to lead with joy. And Patrick just said, he, he reached down deep into his past and he said, you mean trashy Baptist? And the senior pastor said, yes, yes. There's a way that we can mistake 
We can, we, we, can, we can mistake a love of truth with a hatred of fun, and we must not do that. That's why God commanded feasts. That's why Jesus did Palm Sunday, so that the people could discipline themselves to be happy. And I, as a lifelong repressed individual from genetics and upbringing and the church I grew up in, I'm going to worship. I'm going to be happy about Jesus. And we have to do it. We have to do it. And he lowers the boom at the end here. He, he puts it all on the table here. And I hadn't really noticed this so much before, to my shame, how pointed he is with his response here. Don't you hear what the children are saying? Jesus says, yep, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Now he's quoting a psalm. They all knew it. They all knew what he was talking about and who he was talking about. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Now who's the you in that sentence? It's God. Haven't you read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you, God, have ordained praise, prepared praise for yourself? That's what they're doing. They're praising me, as I told them to do when I gave David Psalm 8. Away with every false prophet at the university who says, you know, Jesus never really claimed to be God. That's something the disciples came up with later. It doesn't get any clearer than this. They're worshiping me because that's what they were made to do. And that's what I have spent their whole lives preparing them for. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. These children didn't go home at night and reason it through. Well, the Messiah is supposed to be from, and the Messiah is, and the Messiah. They just came and confessed the truth because they had been trained to do that. And when they did it, he said, yes, that's right, I am. There's a, so I want us to be happy in Christ. I want us to adore and magnify Christ. I want us this week to read through from this chapter up through Matthew 27. Okay, you can get to 28 next Sunday. Read from here to Matthew 27 this week and you will find out how unclouded Jesus is. How ruthless he is as he just preaches and preaches and preaches and everything that he says to them is a dare. You gonna kill me now? You gonna kill me now? Because he wasn't distracted. There was no fluff over his eyes. He knew who he was. And the people that drew near to him loved to hear him say who he is. You have prepared praise for yourself. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies. And as we pray, learn to pray, admiring God and glorifying him. There's the great exchange in church history between 
um, John Calvin and the uh, Cardinal Satellet. Calvin had been kicked out of his church because they didn't like his reformation. And so one of the, uh, the Roman Catholic bishops uh, wrote to him and wrote to Geneva and they said, now that you've, you've gotten rid of that odious Calvin and all of his bad doctrine, come on back to us and it'll be okay. And he writes a really impressive letter about the joy of heaven. And boy, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. And they didn't know how to respond because it was a really good letter and he made some good points. So they sent it on to Calvin and Calvin nails him. He says, everything that you have said, Satellite, is about how we can get to heaven, but that's not the point. The point is the glory of God. The point is the glory of God. It is to enjoy who Jesus is, to glorify him. You have a faith, a kind of faith that keeps a man entirely devoted to himself. The whole concern of life is getting saved, some people say. Are you saved, brother? And somebody stopped me once at the back of the church and said, how many of you saved, brother? And man saved nobody. But I worship somebody who does. If that's the height of our concern, our own soul's salvation shouldn't surprise us as soon as we have children join the church or leave home, they drop out and we never see them again. It shouldn't surprise us that there are all kinds of other things that lead our, um, our priorities other than worship and that the worship we engage here in public, the worship we do in home is lukewarm. But if it's about seeing Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Blessed and only sovereign, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can't see, to him be glory. And you read the apostles in the way they just glory in who Christ is. When you get that, you've got it. We love the Lord Jesus. He is awesome. And ain't nobody in heaven leaning on a water cooler saying, well, you know, there's no difference between me and anybody else. It's just, uh, I researched, I read Tim Keller and I read um, C.S. Lewis and I read N.T. Wright and I made the logical choice and that's who I am. Glory be to God. Those conversations don't go on. The conversations that go on at the water cooler in heaven, if there should be such a thing, is, no, 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 no. Listen to what he forgave me for. No, no, look at what he showed me. Yesterday, I mean me, he showed up. Can you believe? All the glory is to him. Father, we thank you for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for his greatness, for the way that he spent all of scripture announcing himself. And for the way that he came, he was not afraid, he was not distracted, he did not pander, He's the Lord. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have had to see him. Thank you for showing us the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who has opened our blind eyes and healed our dead spirits, who has prepared praise for himself, even out of our mouths. Lord, would you provoke more of it? Help us to praise you as we ought. 
and fill us with the joy of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.